You are listening to an Emmanuel Community Church podcast. For more sermons or information about the church, visit our website at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Just three months ago, the man who was called by many the greatest living artist passed away. He was 103 years old. Many proclaimed him the world's greatest living artist. Do you know his name? His name is Pierre Soulages. He's from France, obviously. And he was the man who was known as the painter of black. He was considered a genius. And these are some of his prints. And I felt the same way as some of you, smiling, chuckling a little, really? He is one of only three artists in the history of the Louvre to have an exhibition of his works done while he was still living. He would paint a canvas black and then add some white or some lighter color or more commonly, texture. Because he loved the way light danced on black. In fact, I'll read a couple quotes. When light is reflected on black, it transforms and transmutes it. It opens a mental field all its own. But here's my favorite. My instrument is not black, but the light reflected from the black. Now, I thought about that this week, and I thought 2,000 years ago, one of the greatest writers who ever lived sat down and penned a letter to the people of Rome. We call it Romans. And the first three chapters, you could use this. My instrument is not black, but the light reflected from black. In chapters 1 to 3, the Apostle Paul takes a canvas and paints it all black. And by the way, that black, that's your heart and my heart. That's the way they are without any redeemer, without any redemption. Paul wants us to see the condition of every person on the planet and understand the instrument is not black, but the light, which is obviously Christ, reflected. Today we come to one of the most difficult passages of Scripture we could take. It's five verses. I want to just give you hope it gets better next week, gets easier. Uh, I've had several of you say over the last few weeks, this is depressing. It is. I had one gentleman say to me, I'm going to come back on Easter. And I said, I totally understand. I mean, that's how I feel too. You know, the sermon bumper itself is dark and it's the intention is so we can feel this blackness that Paul is painting. Because when you understand how dark it is, then the light makes sense. So take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn with me to Romans chapter 2. We're doing just five verses. And uh, if you have your sermon notes and like to follow along, grab those as well or use your church app and you can follow that way. Two things I'll share with you. One is that I have a grow class that uh, begins this Friday at 11.45 a.m. We call it a lunch hour uh, grow class. It goes from 11.45 to 1. I realize for some people 
that does not make it possible for you to get here and get back to work. But if you are able to do so and you've not done part two of the GROW class, we start with the book of Job and go all the way through the end of the Old Testament studying the prophets. Uh, always an interesting study. And if you want to take a picture of that, if you're interested in signing up or just call the church office, whatever is easier for you. I have, I have about 10 spots open. Be glad to have you join us. Secondly, and it's already been announced today, so I don't need to say much more, but we've been selected as one of about 500 churches around the world to sponsor a night to shine, a prom for special needs people, and it's just such, a, such an incredible event. If you've not seen it before, it's amazing. But we literally need hundreds of, adult, uh, of, uh, of sponsors, of volunteers, hundreds of them. So if you have a the ability to help and serve in this particular capacity on February the 10th. You can use your church app again and go to featured events on the church app and there's a place for you to sign up as a volunteer, the volunteer training this Thursday evening. Okay, there are two things we're learning in the series. Number one is the common denominator for mankind is sin. The one thing we all have in common, no matter where you live on the planet, the only person who didn't have it is Jesus, obviously. Everyone else even the first man, Adam, we've all sinned. Secondly, we should stop accusing those who sin differently. Realize that all of us are in the same condition. We have a tendency to look at those who have a different kind of sin and we go, oh, that's gross or that's, that's awful or they're sinners. But Paul was reminding us we all have black hearts. Quick review, if you're following and taking notes, write fast, because I'm going to try to do this quickly. Number one, we've learned over this entire series that mankind rejected God, and now he is revealing his wrath. This is not the lightning from heaven, strike and kill you kind of wrath. This is the God gave them over wrath. In other words, God says, okay, if that's what you want, go ahead. Be my guest. See where it gets you. And of course, when God let them run, they go ahead and replace him with other gods, images of man and animals and reptiles and birds. And that's just been a common thing throughout the history of man, every age. Man's sin, says Paul, is disgusting or repulsive. When you start to think about your own sin, I think you feel disgusted over that sin. And so then Paul starts in this whole study with what we would consider the worst of the sinners, right? The pagans. And he says, now let me start with these horrible people who do these horrible things. And we're all like, oh, that makes me sick. And, and he goes, these are foolish and they're faithless and they're heartless and they're ruthless. I love that sentence in the Greek. It's, it's an amazing written, amazingly written sentence. But it makes you go, oh, those are awful people. Glad we're better. And then he moves to the moral people. The people who don't live like the pagans, who live a better life. And that's what we did last week and we're doing again today. And he says, you therefore have no excuse. You think you're better than them? No, you're not. Next week. Next week, we move to religious people. And I say the Jews because he says if you call yourself a Jew, but you can put any other kind of faith in there. You can talk about Christians or people who call themselves Christians or, or any other faith, any religious org, uh, group organization. He says, if you think you're better than the pagan or the moral, oh, no, 
No, in, in fact, in some ways you're worse. And if any of you think you, you slid through the cracks and one of those three groups didn't cover you, he ends, and we'll do this in a couple weeks, with the entire human race. He says, every mouth will be silenced. The whole world will be held accountable. Not one of you will get away. Are you blessed and encouraged yet? Right? Wow, this is, this is hard. Now, before I get into the text, there's a couple things I want to share with you. First of all, I want to remind you how Paul, such a masterful writer, bookends things. So as he starts this section, he says these words, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, I'll stop there and just say, look at the same words two chapters later. We'll finish this in a couple weeks, but, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, revealed to which the law and the prophets testify the righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference between Jew or Gentile. Basically all the same words. So he says, this is what we're going to learn. And then he goes for two chapters and says, this is what we've learned. And thankfully we go to chapter four, which is much more encouraging. Now, one more thing I want you to see, and that is, I used this same sentence last week in your notes, because I want you to see this. If someone takes this passage out of context, an erroneous conclusion could be that we are somehow saved by works. In fact, let me read verse 13 for you out of context. For it is not those who hear, the, who, hear who are the righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Now, it sounds like, okay, if I'm a good person, I'm going to go to heaven. That's what it sounds like. If you just read that verse. The same was in verse seven last week, same kind of thought. That's not what we're learning. That's not what Paul ever wanted to say. He's talking here not about salvation, but about judgment. So people, I think, read this verse and think, oh, I'm okay, I'm a good person. But if you read other verses like, it's by grace that you've been saved and not of yourselves, it's a gift of God so that no one could boast, it's not by your works. In fact, I take it here. Paul himself tells us that works cannot save you. At the end of what we're studying now, verse 20, we read these words. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Not possible. Can't happen. So if you think being a good person is going to, you know, kind of squeeze you into the door of heaven, it's not going to happen. There's only one way, and of course, that is faith in Christ. Now we come to this passage. It's difficult. I read it some weeks ago and thought, what am I going to do with that? I read it last week again and getting ready to write the sermon, I thought, oh my goodness, where, where does this go? I finally wrote the sermon this week and I turned it over to the people in my office who do the editing for me. They, they read it and mark it up. Sometimes it looks like it's bleeding to death when they hand it back to me with all the red markings. And the one person who handed it back to me said, what are you going to do with that? And I said, I know, I already wrote it, and I still don't know what I'm going to do with this. This is hard. Now, we've asked one of our interns to read it for us. So it's going to be on the screen so you can hear it, but we put the words there so you can see it at the same time, and hopefully that'll be helpful. So follow along. Uh, today's passage is from Romans 2, 12 through 16, and it says, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. 
and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciousness also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Now it's very unkind of us to have an intern read that because it's just a difficult thing for anyone to read. But I'm gonna to try to walk you through it piece by piece and we'll start with the promise. The promise is for God does not show favoritism. And you might say, well, hold it. Didn't we do that last week? Yes, we did. Because I don't know if it ends the last section or if it begins this section. So I used it in both. But here's what you should know. This is a transition verse that points forwards and backwards. It reminds us that God will never play favorites. God will never judge on the curve or grade on the curve. I'll tell you, when I was in school, I counted on the curve. I'm a person who needed the curve. And uh, when you get to heaven, there, there won't be such a thing. Everything is graded directly upon, as you know, your works uh, for the final judgment and your motives, your secrets, we'll get to in a moment. This is a transition verse. It reminds us there are no favorites, and so you can't count on that. Now, the common question when you go, well, God will not show favoritism to anybody, the common question for many of us would be, well, hold it. What about those people who never, ever heard about Jesus? Nobody ever preached to them. They've never heard it. What, what, what happens to them? In fact, we often say, what about those people in the remotest parts of Africa? I'm sure there's many there, but you know what? We've got to change our thinking on that. Because they're not just in the remotest parts of Africa. They're in your neighborhood. They're in my neighborhood. A few years ago, I was flying my drone out in the backyard, and a little boy from up the street came down, wanted to watch me fly the drone. And the next time I got the drone out, he came down. I think he had a little signal in his house that said I had my drone up. And so he would come down each time. And one time he said, could I fly it just a little bit. So I helped him learn to fly. Then he bought a drone and we would fly drones together. He'd even actually come to our home, ring the doorbell and ask my wife if I could come out and play. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. So one time we were out flying our drones and he asked me what I did for work. And I told him, well, I, I work at a church and I explained my job to him. And he goes, wow. He said, I've never been in a church. I said, you've never been in any church? He said, no, I don't think so. And I thought, here's somebody in my neighborhood who's never heard. Now, the thing that gives me comfort here is that God has a righteous judgment. He will be fair with everyone. And how that all works out, that's up to him to determine. But my job is to make sure people do hear Verse 12 says, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law 
who will be declared righteous. Now, here's the principle. The principle is that every person will be judged according to the law that they had available to them. So you've never heard the gospel. You've never opened a Bible. No one's ever shared with you the scriptures. You will then be judged by the law that you had. This is not the judgment of whether you go to heaven or hell. This is the judgment of works that Paul's talking about. The last judgment. We'll get to that in a minute. So you'll be judged according to the law you had. The key word in this passage, and you probably already picked that out, is the word law. Now, I have it on the screen here, but let me show you the words law. Show you how many times there are. It's just all throughout this section. In fact, it's so often you, you kind of even wonder if you already read that verse because it's just the law, the law, the law, the law. There are three different groups of people mentioned here. Number one is those people I already referred to, those who have never heard God's law. They live in the remotest part of Africa or they live down the street from you or they live all around the world. And our job is to somehow share the law with them, share the, share the good news of grace with them. Secondly, there is a group of people who have heard. They even heard and agree, but they don't obey. That could include some of you. Maybe people you go to school with, people you work with, whatever. People who go, yeah, I heard that. I, I think that's kind of nice story about Jesus, but they don't obey it. And, and then lastly, there's the people who hear it and obey it. And the Bible tells us they are the smaller group. They will be declared righteous. Now, that doesn't mean because they're going to go to heaven because they obey the law. It means they'll be declared, that's the word right or correct, when they stand before God in the judgment of works, they'll, they'll be told, good job, because you've taken what I've given you and you've used it well. In fact, Jesus one time said these words, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed. That's the word happy, sometimes we say. You'll be happy if you do them. You'll be blessed. You will find blessing if you do them. So you want to be in this group of people, those who hear and obey. Now, as we start verse 14 and 15, you can see in your Bibles, in your notes, there's a parenthesis at the beginning of it and the end. I, I just highlighted that just because there is no parenthesis in the Greek. And so the translators here, they said, we think this is a kind of an aside statement. So whether it is or not, I don't know. I'll read it to you. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience is also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing, and at other times even defending them. Now, I think that's self-explanatory. <laughs> yeah, right. You, you really got to dig through this. So the word translated here as Gentiles is the Greek word ethnos, which is, you know what word we get. That's our word ethnic. We often talk about an ethnic group, but that's how it's used today. In the Greek, it means everyone. Ethnos means people. And in particular, we're not talking about Jewish people. We're talking about people who don't have the knowledge of, of God. There are pagans, we call them. These are the pagans. Because God's law is practical and universal, many pagans, many people who've never heard about God, they still follow the law. I mean, they don't murder, they don't steal, they don't... They don't you know, uh, they're, they're not greedy. I mean, because in their society, like in our society, even though there's no written law, that just is wrong. And so in most every part of the world, it's the same law. They'll still be judged by their law. So 
Whatever law they have, they'll be judged by that. They have four things, says Paul. Every person on the planet has four things, whether you've ever heard the law or not. Number one is you have the revelation of creation. For since the creation of the world, the God's invisible qualities, his power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, people are without excuse. So you look around this world, and some people say, it came from nothing, it just happened. But most people around the world will say, something put this here. Somebody created this. And so you look at this world and you see its order, you see the way it's made, and the more you learn about it, the more you go, wow, there's a God. And then, secondly, these people, all people, have the law written on their hearts. When they're born, they seem to know right and wrong. Isn't it interesting that, you know, the smallest children, when they do something they're not supposed to do, and you've not told them yet it's wrong, they do it, and then they look at you like, uh-oh. Because in their hearts, they know it's wrong. It's, it's kind of burned right into our hearts, says Paul. But, but thirdly, God also gave you a conscience. Every person on the planet has it. And so you do something wrong, and you feel bad about it. And you can always tell, no matter where you're at in the world, someone who has done something wrong and their conscience bothers them because their, their mouths dry up and they can't talk or they, or they get jittery and nervous or they run. And that's their conscience at work. God gave us a conscience. Now, you might say, I know some people who don't have a conscience. Well, yeah, they did have one. That's what the Bible says, that they've taken their conscience and abused it. They've not listened to it for so long that it's become numb. Paul actually uses the word seared as with a hot iron. So it no longer is it used to them, useful to them. But until you sear your conscience, you have one. And so Paul says, you know right from wrong. Your conscience tells you. And even beyond your conscience, says Paul, you have common sense. And their thoughts sometimes accuse them and sometimes defend them. What's that mean? It means you think, was what I just did wrong? And you think about it and you go, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Or, you know, I think that was okay. So your conscience tells you, the law in your heart tells you, and then you've got your common sense to figure it out. And by the way, you say, but these people still don't have the gospel. Well, let me show you something. This always gives me comfort. Throughout the Bible, we have these kinds of statements. And you shall seek me and find me when you seek, me with, when you seek for me with all of your heart. So anyone, anywhere who seeks for the true God will find him. That's a promise God gives us. And we have many, many stories and examples of that. Now, the final verse, verse 16, tells us about the payback at the final judgment. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Now, Paul reminds us that judgment will take place on the day. What's the day? That's that last day we talked about last week, the great white throne judgment. That's the judgment when you've already been declared whether you are a believer or unbeliever, but now you'll stand before God and you will be judged according to your works You will be given rewards based on whether your works were good or not so good. Even secrets, even your motives will be revealed. As a kid, I'd go to a revival service and there'd be some evangelist who would speak and 
Oftentimes near the end of the message, he would say, someday you'll stand before God and there'll be a big movie screen in heaven and everybody in heaven will watch your whole life on the movie screen. And I think nothing scared me more. Hell didn't scare me more than that. I'd go home and not be able to sleep thinking that people would watch my life. And I was just a kid then. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God will judge people's secrets. He knows what you're doing, whether good or bad. In fact, let me show you uh, many places, but here in Matthew 6, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you, good or bad again. So you're not hiding anything from God. Not only does he see what you do, he sees inside your heart to see why you did it. He knows your secrets. Lastly, judgment will happen through Jesus Christ. The last day, Jesus Christ will be the judge. Now, I want to make sure you see something here because this is fascinating to me. You know, I've told you this whole section has been so dark like a black canvas. Do you know why? Because since the opening introduction, all the way back in verse 8 or verse 7, until chapter 322, Jesus is not mentioned once except here. This is the only time. And when you have no light, things get dark. So right here, Paul is giving you your first glimmer of hope. Jesus Christ will be the one who does the judging. There's the first light. We'll see more. And as I said, it gets easier next week. Now, I'm going to invite Pastor Mark up because he's going to lead us in prayer in a moment. Let me just close with a couple things. Not in your notes, just so you're aware. I imagine as I read the text here, this last verse, that some of you had a question. Hey, what is this deal with Paul saying, as my gospel declares? Why would Paul say it's his gospel? What's the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why would he say that? Well, I thought about that a lot this week, and actually I found the answer to it in the same book. The very end of Romans, he writes these words. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel... What is the gospel? The message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery that's been hidden. So in other words, I'll say it this way. There's been a mystery hidden for the ages that when God called Paul to be the first person to preach to the Gentiles, he says, Paul, here's the gospel. And I want you to give it to the Gentiles. I want you to reveal to them the message about Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul calls it my gospel. You and I can't call it that. It's Paul's because he was the first one to ever be able to give this to Gentiles. Now, I've shared this whole text with you and I've told you how difficult it is. But what do you do with it? Do you go home and memorize these five verses? I don't think so. Uh, is this something you want to really meditate on? I, I, I think it's difficult. I, I don't think so. What do you do with it? Well, in my mind, as I said at the beginning, Paul is painting a canvas black. Because once it's purely black, then you'll start to see Jesus being reflected. And when you see that, be thankful. That, I think, is the answer here. And I'll close with this because I'd be remiss if I didn't say. If you have never committed your life to Jesus Christ... Your heart is black. That's what Paul is saying. All of us have black hearts until we turn our life over to Jesus Christ who then gives us light and hope.
So if you have not done that or you do not know him personally, you can. Just commit your life to him. Follow him. And your heart will be made clean.